One of the most dramatic moments in human history took place in what we call the upper room. Jesus and his disciples were gathered for the Passover meal. And that's an ancient Jewish meal they celebrated, even in Jesus' day, every year to commemorate the night before the morning when they were released from slavery in Egypt. It was a meal that they would use to physically remember God's faithfulness. Because the children of Israel were slaves for 400 years. Imagine that. 400 years of seeming faithlessness. 400 years during which the Jewish people, they lived as slaves. And they started out as this family. But they eventually became a nation. Uh, Thousands and thousands of people. And they were slaves 400 years. And that's 400 years of unanswered prayer to them. 400 years of harsh treatment. And eventually, God sent a deliverer named Moses who stood up. It just blows my mind. Moses stood up to the most powerful man on the planet at the time, Pharaoh. And he demanded that that he let God's people go. And now, tonight, we are now we find ourselves 1400 years after the children of Israel were released from slavery they were delivered from slavery and Jesus is gathered with his disciples to commemorate that historic event but his disciples are distracted that night things aren't going well you know their popularity had diminished they had noted like okay Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem in the daytime He waited until the sunset and he stayed out in the countryside before coming into Jerusalem. And there was secrecy around where they would meet that night and celebrate the the holiday. Jesus hadn't even told them where they were going to meet until the last minute. And understandably so, like they knew that there was a movement to have Jesus arrested. And on top of that, Jesus kept talking about his own death. And their friend Judas was acting really weird. So this certainty that they had grown accustomed to, I mean, from it was gone. The, Jesus had started his ministry a few years before, and, and he was healing people. And it almost seems like, seemed like he was escalating things, healing uh, the lame, healing blind, uh, blind people. Uh, Lazarus, had, his friend, had been dead literally four stinking days And Jesus called him out of the tomb. Lazarus was raised from the dead, feeding 5,000 people. I mean, it was getting comfortable. Like, wow, we're, we're the hottest thing in town. But now that was fading away. And now there were, in, in the moment we're talking about today, there were more questions than answered. As they gathered for this feast, things got even crazier. Now, however you get there, turn to Mark chapter 14. In verse 17, it says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Literally means hand me over. And for, for his disciples, you know, Jesus is rarely wrong. So this didn't come as good news. And he goes on to say, as they're saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? He goes on to say, one who is eating here with me will betray me. Like eating, just like I think it's very similar in our culture. Eating together is one of the most intimate things you can do. 
uh, with someone else. And, and, and especially in that culture, it just seemed unimaginable that talk about being stabbed in the back. Imagine having coming, someone coming into your personal space in your home and, and treating you like garbage, betraying you. It was horrible, unimaginable. And in verse 19, they were saddened. They were disappointed. And uh, one by one, they said to him, surely not I. Nobody asked, what do you mean? Nobody, nobody asked, like, who to hand you over to? Like, they knew. When Jesus said that, they knew that this was true. And they were just hoping, hoping that this really wasn't going to happen. The tension there, like Jesus said it, it's going to happen. And they knew the moment that they heard that he was headed to Jerusalem. They were probably thinking like, I think he's given up. Like, this is obviously a trap. These people have laid that you have to go to Jerusalem at this time of year. There's already a movement of people that want you gone, Jesus, and you're just walking into it and you're talking about all this stuff. Like, it had to be so heartbreaking. And in verse 20, it is one of the 12, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. Like, go there means depart, leave. They're gone. This, this anchor to these group of men that's, that's taken them through all kinds of crazy situations and, and has, has represents so much hope to the nation of Israel. He's saying, no, it's been written that the Son of Man will go. And, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Like, that's heavy, heavy stuff. And it reminds me, most of what we find in, in Scripture was written in environments of extreme uncertainty. This book isn't filled with feel-good messages for a world that, that you and I don't live in. Like, in Scripture, we find God active and speaking directly into uncertain times. One of my favorite stories is the story of Joseph. Not Joseph and Mary, but Joseph, like the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph. Like Joseph, imagine his brothers throw him in a pit. Imagine hearing your own brothers debate, should we sell him into slavery or should we kill him? I think we should sell him. I think we should kill him. Like this is not like Joseph just being like, going from strength to strength and easy situation to easy situation. And we discover that no matter what happened to Joseph, God was with him. One of the heroes of the Bible, even, even uh, in, in outside of Christian culture, people know about David, David and Goliath. When David was king, he was awakened one morning to the rumor that his own son was conspiring against him. Not like an easy, cushy life filled with uh, fluffy unicorns and just everything awesome. Like his own son was about to betray him. Uh, We read in scripture about a frightened mother who wrapped her baby in a blanket and put him in a basket so Egyptian soldiers wouldn't kill him. Imagine that, thinking the crocodiles are safer than than the soldiers looking to kill all the Hebrew baby boys. And we've already talked about Moses. Years later, uh, 
another mother flees her home with her newborn to escape the sword of King Herod. And ironically, she goes from Israel back to Egypt. Like, these are hard times that, that God directly was involved in and God speaks to. Uh, one of the heroes of, of the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul, he thought God had called him, but he found himself in a Roman prison. And he's writing to all these churches all over the Roman Empire and writes about what to do when God's promises don't seem to be coming true. You guys, this is the perfect place to come in times of uncertainty. The Bible is filled with stories of people facing uncertainty and discovering that God, he's not absent. And God is diligently at work accomplishing his will in the lives of his people and accomplishing his will in the world. And he's underneath all of this, around all of this. And even though with our own eyes, it looks like God isn't anywhere we have reminders over and over again in scripture that God is there. We're reminded that God still has this whole world in his hands. And this challenges us to trust God when it's hard, to trust that even though we don't understand and, and we would like to manage the timeline ourselves, no, God has this under control and God can do a much better job than you or I at putting all of this brokenness back together. So back to this upper room story. It continues on. And a lot of us know the end of the story, but the next few words have extraordinary significance because they were completely lost on the people in the room because they had a laser beam focus on their own situation. And Jesus continues in verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So he's foreshadowing this event that will be celebrated for 2,000 years. A worldwide movement was beginning. But for the people in the room, they're thinking, uh, this is the end of the story. This is the end of me. I'm going to have to find some place to hide. They didn't know that God was about to make his move on behalf of the whole world. Heaven was breaking through in a new way. But for them, everything seemed to be moving backwards. And not only back, like it was getting worse. And they're they're wondering what in the world will we do? In verse 27, Jesus said, you're going to fall away. You will all fall away, Jesus told him. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So now he's referring, referring to the event that will change everything. It's the event that, that marks, it's the culmination of history. Everything before was leading to Jesus' resurrection and everything after makes sense and everything after has hope because Jesus rose from the dead. But for the disciples, it was too dark for them to see or find hope. And then one of my favorites, Peter, he speaks up. And I think Peter 
if he was here today, he would speak for all of us. Peter declared in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not. And I think he's a lot like us. He's thinking, I don't like this plan and I'm going to do something about it. But in the end, he was the most humiliated of all. He was uh, to a random group of people, denied Jesus in the most humiliating fashion three times. So here's the question you and I have got to face for ourselves in our personal uncertainty. Here's the question you and I need to face in the midst of our cultural uncertainty of all the stuff that's going on in the world today. Is it possible that God is still active? Is it possible that God is still accomplishing his purposes when there is no indication of his activity? No indication of activity in your personal world or in our corporate world. When it seems to be going backwards, when it seems like things are getting so dark and so tense, your answer to those, that question or those questions, it's going to determine your response to our current uncertainty in our current world. I think if we were to interview these disciples uh, with the benefit of hindsight and perspective, and if we asked them what was their darkest hours, I think they would say it began in that upper room. And they're like, oh, that's when things really escalated. And all the stuff that Jesus had been warning about in those hours, it, it happened quickly. But if we ask them, like, when did God accomplish his greatest work? I think it would have, they would have all said, it was in those hours. We didn't understand it that night. But man, that is when God, he, God literally hung between two worlds on a cross, allowing heaven to break in, God rescuing humanity and coming back from the dead. They would say, that is when God accomplished his greatest work. That was the beginning of days of, for the disciples, of utter despair. But it was the culmination of God's plan of redemption. When life is uncertain, I think they would tell you and I, when life is uncertain, God is not. He's still got the whole world in his hands. And and we see over and over in scripture that good things come from broken things. When we see that God is working behind our circumstances, when we see that God is working in our undesired events that are happening in our lives, even, even the ones that we bring on ourselves, there's a sense of purpose and peace there for us to discover. If we're suspicious, Instead of going, oh no, yeah, the sky is falling. If we can cultivate a healthy, holy suspicion, I like to call it. Like, okay, this is, this is not good, but where is God going to show up in this? How is God going to use this? If we can cultivate that, there's a sense of, of peace in the middle of those circumstances. And you could easily say, I just, as I was... As I was preparing this, I said this, okay, that's great, but it's not going to find me a job when I need a job. It's not gonna pay my bills when I don't have money in my account. It's not gonna keep me in school when, when my grades are tanking. It's not gonna restore my retirement fund. Like, no, it won't, but it will allow you to maintain hope and faith in the meantime. 
It will allow you to go to bed at night with the confidence that God has not abandoned you. And if we listen to the words of Jesus like, and, and start cultivating that life, that's more precious than, and, and that is able to save us more than any, things that, any of the things that we find comfort in. Our accomplishments, our possessions, our reputation. If we have hope that God is who God says he is and will do what God says he will do, that's the kind of thing that will allow us to go to bed at night with a smile on our face going, yeah, I heard a pastor say, my money is funny and the world is crashing in around me, but God's got this. I've said that a lot of times in my adult life. Like, God, I can't do this, but I know you can. And on my own, I would totally freak out. But right now, I've just got to trust that, that, that you're taking care of this. That kind of trust will motivate you to be on the lookout for God's grace and God's intervention. It'll keep us from leaning also in directions that only make things worse. How many of us run to unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy habits, hurtful habits, because we're, we're taking this legitimate pain and legitimate anxiety and we're trying to numb it somehow. But when we know that God has all of this under control and we're reminding ourselves of that over and over again, it can keep us from going off in the wrong direction and, and escalating our, our bad situation. And it can protect you from despair. When life is uncertain, God is not. He's got the whole world and still has the whole world in his hands. There's a researcher I'm fascinated with. His name's Lucas Lafreniere. I don't know exactly how to say it, but it's French, so Lafreniere. But he's a PhD and he researches worry. And after years and years of researching worry, I found this quote of his. He says, this is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment. It makes you try to prevent misery in the future, for chronic worriers, this process leads them to be continually distressed all of their lives in order to avoid later events that never happen. Worry sucks the joy out of here and now. I resonate with that. I've, I've been there. I've, I've let worry so many times suck the joy out of here and now. How many times have I been physically present with my wife or family, but my mind is somewhere else? How many hours of sleep have I, have I lost with my head on the pillow wondering what's gonna happen? What's this person gonna say? What's gonna happen with that situation? And I can't do anything about it. And one of the things Lucas's research says is that 91% of the things people worry about never actually happen. They never actually happen. And uh, even when we're going through a hard time, sometimes we're worried about, well, things, they might get worse. They might get worse. What if we said, oh my goodness, things are bad now, but even if they get worse, God will still be with me. What if we took Jesus at his word? In Matthew 6, verse 31, he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's the challenge for us. As we're, as we're the benefactors of these people who've come before us, who faced uncertain times. Uh, narrative after narrative, and, and the one we looked at today, is, it tells us that this is a story of faith, and it's not just a, a bunch of comfortable rich people experiencing life getting more and more awesome. Like, we are living in a creation created by a God that cares about our suffering, knows what we're going through, and God is already diligently working to move all of this in a direction that's good and pure and true and right. And even if we don't see it with our own eyes, even if our story is not done yet and doesn't have the Hollywood ending, we have a God that, is, that loves us and knows what we need even before we ask for it. So the challenge for us today is to, to search our hearts and say, and maybe, maybe you need to have some sort of ceremony where you write down what you're worried about and you, you throw it away or, or you, you take it and in prayer, like slide it across a table or something and say, God, please, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I trust you. Whatever it is, that, that, that you, be creative with it. But I want to invite you right now in this moment because something's probably on your mind, to just release that. Maybe, maybe you picture it in your hands and you, you, you turn over that worry and, and use your body as a, as a representation of God. I'm trusting you with this. So I want to invite you right now to surrender that. Surrender it right now because you're not meant to carry that around. So please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, there's a lot of things that we can worry about right now. And those are real, and, and we, we name them right now. Whatever it is we're feeling anxious about, worried about, uh, the pain that we have. But God, we, we release that to you as much as, as possible, and we ask for your help. Would you please clear our minds? Would you please help us to stop hustling and running after these things that we think will make us comfortable? God, help us to even more so surrender to you, depend on you, and focus on you. So we're trusting that you have the answer. Would you please fill us up, heal our hearts, fill us up with your hope, and take us through, through these times. We trust you, Jesus. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So. Until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and may the Lord give you peace no matter what you are going through. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. We'll see you soon.